So we've been looking at whatever happened to the power of God, starting to get into a little bit more of the meat of the details of what's going on there. We begin to look at the idea of the gifts of the Spirit. What happened to them? Where are they at? Why don't we see them in operation today? Why don't we see miracles like we used to? Like in the Scriptures. I showed you guys last week, and I showed you over the last couple weeks, there's an idea called cessationism, which means the gifts and operation of the Holy Spirit has ceased to be done away with. The only thing that the Holy Spirit does now is convict sinners and so that they will come to God. And you've got different denominations in which that, that lean heavily towards this. Some uh, theological centers, some seminaries are more heavily involved in this type of idea. But from Scripture, you cannot make the case that the gifts are ever intended to cease. The idea that at the close of the, the canon of Scripture that we would no longer have these gifts at the end of the apostolic era with the uh, initial 12 apostles, that we wouldn't see those gifts operate anymore. That does not come from Scripture. But what we've done is we build a case for it. And some of it is that they mix a little bit of Scripture taken out of context, and then they mix a little bit of history in it and say, hey, you know, the gifts cease to operate. We can see that all throughout history. And as I showed you last week, that's simply not true. That's not the case at all. It, it's We've seen throughout history, and there will be more to come that you guys will see as we go in with this, is that we will see... Um, all through history, there's ideas of revival and awakenings that happen. I mean, we have great awakenings in the American history books that talk about the country coming to God. The purpose of it is that sinners come to faith in Christ. That is the ultimate goal of any revival. It is not just, uh, you know, we get up and the Holy Spirit moves and things happen and it's fun and all that kind of stuff. It is the fact that we are convicted of our sin and that we come to the Father with grace. And we come to Him as being called by Him. And so the idea is that throughout history that all of this stuff has done, been done away with is absolute nonsense. So God still heals today. He absolutely heals today, right? You know that, don't you? They were just telling us this morning, they went down to El Salvador because they didn't think her, Alma's dad had much time left, and, and they prayed for him, and, and Jim had to kind of backdoor his way into the room with them because they only let one in at a time, so um, he found a workaround on that. And uh, they get in there and pray for him, and Saturday they didn't think he'd make it, and Sunday he went home. Not home with the Lord, he went home home. He's doing good. Praise the Lord. I mean, it's just, God is still moving. God is still moving. Diana was telling me, she, she stepped out for a second, so I'm going to tell her story instead of her. But you know those storms that went through Kansas City last week? She came into my office on Tuesday or Thursday. I don't even know what day it was. I couldn't tell you what day of the week it is half the time anymore. And she's like, i got to tell you something. This was amazing. And I said, what's that? So you know the tornadoes that were going? They were heading, the line of path was right towards their kid's house. There, and she's just praying, God, you know, be with them, you know, all of this other kind of stuff. And she's watching the weather channel, and all of a sudden the weatherman's like, did you see that? And the tornado came, and it stopped, and they're like, well, that's weird. We don't see that happen very often. And it got past their house in the area, and then it dropped down again. And the weatherman's like, what? Did, did that just? They were taken aback. Coincidence? I don't know. Right? I mean, it's possible. It could be that God is still moving today, that God still answers prayer, that miracles still happen. And they happen all the time. They happen every single day. There could be that. But here we are. We don't think about this stuff. We forget the benefits of God. We forget the things that God has done. We take them for granted. We get hung up on semantics. In Psalm 103, we read this every week. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. 
He forgives your iniquities. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. And He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. I don't know about y'all, but I take some of that youth about now. And I know some of you guys are older than me. But the older you get, the more noise you make getting out of a chair. You know, it's just, it's just reality. And here we are. We've got God there, and yet we just kind of ignore Him. We forget about it. So we've looked at the idea that the gifts, they still operate today. There's just no question about it. There are miracles happening all the time. God is still moving. I hear stories all the time. But what about the other side of that equation? Because you've got God does nothing. Or if God heals, it's only when it's His will. You see, should we come to God with a confident expectation for anything that we ask Him for, including healing? That's the question. Because if we're simply waiting on it to see if it is God's will for us to be healed. If I'm sick, and I don't know, and I'm praying, what if it's not God's will? How do we know? How do we know if it's not God's will? Well, obviously, because nothing happens. But if it was God's will, then something good happens. Okay? Now, I want you to keep that thought in mind. All right? Because we're going to just look at this from Scripture, of course. We're also going to think about this idea logically. All right? Because that is the premise, is it not? There's no other way to look at it. We have no idea what God's will is in life, right? We don't know. So, therefore, if we pray for something and it happens, it must be because it's God's will. Yes? If we pray for something and it doesn't happen, that must mean that it was not God's will. You guys ever heard the thing? You see it on Facebook. We get all these cute little, like, you know, greeting card type thing. Is, is like, when you pray, sometimes God's answer is yes, no, or not yet. Well, how do you know? Could you imagine your child coming and asking you a question, and you just make them sit around and wait for the results to figure out what your answer is? That would be kind of fun. They come up to you, can I have a cookie? You just kind of cross your arms like, that cookie appears in your hands. The answer is yes. And if it doesn't, it's no. Or it could be that mom ate them all. One of the two. So, let's look at this. Let's start in Exodus chapter 15 today. We're going to start in verse 25. It says, So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, here's a declaration by God made to Moses. It's the nation of Israel. It's getting ready at the time of the Exodus. You guys know that story. But he makes a declaration. He says, if you keep my commandments, because remember, this is what is going on here. This is ultimately going to be the statute. But the Mosaic covenant is not in place just yet. And so they, um, he says, if you do this, none of the diseases that I have brought on the Egyptians I will put on you. I am the Lord who heals you. It's a declarative statement here. Who does the healing? God does, ultimately, right? Now, does he say, I will heal you if it's my will? Of course not. We have to look at this because the other side of the barrel here is that it is either sometimes God's will to heal you or not, but ultimately you're healed in eternity. Or we have this side, which is where we tend to, that it is always God's will to heal. And there are times that people haven't been healed physically, 
But does that have to do with it being God's will or something else? We would lean towards something else. So let's get into this. We have to look at what God tells us to do. And we look at that through Scripture. In 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know what he, that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. What did He just tell us? This is John talking. What did He say? If we ask anything according to God's will, He hears us. You know what He didn't tell us? What is God's will? He conveniently left that part out, didn't He? He said, if we ask anything according to the will of God, okay, that's fine, but how do I know what the will of God is? In other words, what if I'm asking for something that isn't the will of God? How do we know? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead and the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of His everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, all of these things happen. The covenant, which is the new covenant, is going to make us complete in every good work for what purpose? To do His will. You know what it didn't say? What His will was. So we know that we're set up to do His will, but we don't know what His will is. Well, how about another one? Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus talking. It says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that you may be seen by men. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. This is how Jesus tells us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I bet you most of you guys in here could recite the rest of this from memory. What does he say that we're praying? God, may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. You know what Jesus didn't tell us here? What his will is. Think about this. We're petitioning God to do what He wants. That doesn't make much sense. My children don't have to come to me and ask me to do what I want. Right? I mean, over my household, if I get up in the morning and they're watching TV, who owns that TV? It ain't the kids. Right? Who is the payer for that TV? Who is the controller and operator of the remote control? Thus saith the Lord. It's not Avery. She gets the rest of the house. That's my domain. You see, they don't have to ask me, Dad, do you want to watch Peppa Pig? The answer is always no. Always no. If I ever hear that English accent and the snort again, I'm going to lose it. Y'all know right now, don't you? They got a granddaughter who's obsessed with Peppa Pig. If you don't know what I'm talking about, be thankful. Just be thankful. All right? Sometimes ignorance is bliss. You see, they don't have to ask me to do. Why are we praying and petitioning God? God, do your will on earth. 
That doesn't make much sense logically. Well, let's look at Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Great! You care to elaborate a little. We keep seeing these things about the will of God, and nobody is explaining what the will of God is. How about another one? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which was a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise." So, this thing that you don't know what is, when you're done with it, you're going to receive the promise. What is the will of God? Here's another one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Wonderful! We still don't know what it is. You guys seeing a problem portraying here? Like, it keeps getting worse and not better. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would tell me what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, if you thought I was done, I am not. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for your hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when, uh, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It is better to suffer if it's God's will. We're getting closer. You see, here's the point. You notice how it is implied by Paul, who primarily wrote most of that, and John and some of these other ones, that doing and praying the will of God is something they know. That's why he's not explaining it. You see what I'm saying? Because it is implied there. I use this analogy often, but I mean, when we talk about understanding something in context, it's not simply just the words that are on the page. That's important, but also understanding the culture and the things that have been taught before that. So when you go to a ball game, if I tell somebody from El Salvador that when you know, we went to the ball game, they played the national anthem, and then they kicked off or threw the first pitch or whatever sport you want, not soccer, that's not real, but, but the rest of them are totally cool. When you hear the playing the national anthem, you know exactly what happens. You stand up, you take off your hat, your hand on your heart, salute maybe if you're a military person. We sing the, uh, the, not the Pledge of Allegiance, the national anthem, and then they yell, play ball. Sometimes there's fireworks, and then we sit down and the rest of the game goes. But if you've never seen that and don't know what it is, it makes no sense. Here we have an example by multiple writers that we are to be praying and doing the will of God. And the reason they don't have to explain it it's because it's already known. See, they don't have to go through and break down what the will of God is and what we should be praying and what we should be doing because it is known to these believers. And it should be known to us. What did Jesus say? When Jesus was approached and they were asking him, aren't you hungry? I had eaten and all that stuff. He said, 
my meat or my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And what was the will of him who sent me? Jesus was sent on this earth for this purpose. To die, be buried, and then resurrect, performing the ultimate sacrifice, the Passover lamb on our behalf. That was the will of the Father. And he knew it. He was never a guess. He knew exactly what it was. So, for us, how do we know what the will of God is in a believer's life? We turn to scriptures. Now, we could get off on a, a tangent here and say, well, what about the will of God personally? Do you want me to live here, work here, do this, marry that person, whatever? That's a whole other subject. That's more personal. I'll tell you this, though, is that the concept that God has created one man for one woman, like these are the only two people that exist, and that's how God designed them to be together individually, is not a biblical statement. Because think about this. What have we gotten right since the existence of mankind according to the will of God? Not a whole lot. And if Susie is supposed to marry Jimmy, because that's God's will, but Susie marries Ralph, what happens? She married the wrong one. Well, who's Jimmy going to marry? The wrong one. And you see how this is going to... Tr- you got all the wrong people together making all the wrong babies. This is not good. You see, it's not the specific whom but the character of the individual that you've come together with, joined as one. You see, the will of God personally, there is some movement in there. But as a general rule here, the will of God is very, very clear throughout Scripture of what God expects from us. So let's start here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Now we're going to get some explanatory going on. Your sanctification. Well, what is that? Let's define that term. That is where our flesh is becoming more Christ-like. Our bodies, are, are the image of who we are on this earth, our behavior is beginning to look more and more like God. So this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testify for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who also has given us his holy spirit what is the will of God well first of all it's our sanctification and part of that is we abstain from anything sexual that is not in a marriage covenant because that is not the will of God because it was it was God's design in the first place, with a purpose, that we don't act like the Gentiles because we are made right. So when they say that we urge and we exhort you in the Lord Jesus, it's like we're not just saying this. We're telling you this is the will of God. Nobody would question that, right? We all know, according to Scripture, that sex is between one man and one woman whom are married. And that is the only way. Does mankind screw this up? All the time. But this is God's will. Do you have to ask God, what is your will in this situation? When you have two young people that are dating, they don't have to pray, God, do you want me to have sex with my girlfriend? It's very clear, right? You guys see what I'm saying? 
You see, the, the readers of the books understood exactly what the will of God is. Thus, we can too. We have to know what it is. We're praying, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're saying that and we don't know what God's will is, we don't know what we're praying. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this will, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Three things. Good, acceptable, and perfect. How do we know? It just told us. Number one, we don't become conformed. To this world. Our bodies are presented to God as living sacrifice, not dying. Living. Yes, we should be willing to lay down our lives for God, but He would like it a whole lot more if we'd start living for Him. If everybody laid down their life at the same time and died for God, there'd be nobody left to live for Him. He called us to live for Him. He didn't say, pick up your cross, carry it to the hill, and hang yourself on it. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. We have to become living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. What makes them that way? They have been presented before and found right. Those sacrifices brought to the temple, brought to the tabernacle, were always inspected. They had to meet a certain criteria. You meet that criteria when you're born again because Jesus has made you whole. It says this is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We renew our mind with the Word of God. You will never know what God's will is if you don't know what God's Word is. When people come to me, I hear this all the time, when people come to me, it's like, I feel like God is telling me to go do X, Y, Z. He may be. But let's look at this. I had a young lady one time, or they, uh, they were husband and wife, and they were getting separated. She... It was just a bad thing that was going on. And um, she'd been having an emotional affair with a man, said it hadn't been physical, but I don't know, you know. And, uh, and, and trying to help them out and trying to reconcile. She said she wanted to reconcile and things like that. She was an amazing singer, very talented. And um, they're separated, so what should you be doing? You should be working on your marriage. And they kind of were, but kind of weren't. But she said, I feel like God is telling me to go overseas to this other country. I can't remember which country it was. And he wants me to sing there. Now, what does that mean? She's about to leave her husband behind. Now, what do most people say? In fact, one of the staff members at this church who was related to this individual told me that in this moment that she'd been hearing from the Holy Spirit that this young lady had more than she ever had in her life. And I said, no, she's not. Because what is the will of God? That's your husband. You don't leave him. God will never ask you to leave your spouse. That picture of the covenant of Christ in the church for you to go sing in some foreign country. So I looked at her and I said, that's not the word of the Lord. That is not the will of God. She did not like that answer. That was the last time we talked. That happens often. You see, I didn't have to go and say, well, I don't know if God's telling you to do this or not. It was very simple. You're not leaving your husband to go do this, at least not with my blessing. Not that she cared. She didn't need my blessing, but I'm telling you what, it was my responsibility to tell her the truth. You see, 
how do we know what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is? You better know the Word. Why do we get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? Because we don't know the Word. We are moved by things that are mystical. We're moved by what we call moves of God. We're moved by uh, uh, charismatic preachers and guys and all of that kind of stuff. If you don't know the Word, you're going to be tossed all over the place. Your foundation is not on the rock. It is on the sand. You see, we have to know what the Word is. Therefore, if we know what the Word is when we pray, can we pray the will of God? Oh, you better believe it. Well, let's keep going. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Good! Here's one. He finally cleared the air a little bit for us, right? We should rejoice always. We should never stop praying. And no matter what happens, we give thanks to God. It does not say, I want you to rejoice when things are good, but you're off the hook when things are bad. I want you to rejoice when Oklahoma makes it to the final four. But you might as well get down because they always blow it there. You see, it's saying rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Do you have to ask what the will of God is a situation that is bad in your life? No. What's the will of God? I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to give thanks, and I'm going to pray unstoppable. I'm never going to stop. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because this is the will of God. Do you have to ask that question? No, you don't, because the Word says so. How about this one? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme, or to the governors of those who sent uh, by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorant of foolish men, uh, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We don't have a king. We've got a guy that would probably make himself the king if he had the opportunity right now. But it's good to be the king. Mel Brooks. Anybody? Nobody? Okay, fine. Anyway, what do we do? We respect our government. We respect our leaders. We pray for them. We do all of this stuff. This is the will of God. Why do we do that? Because we put to silence those that are ignorant of foolish men. We put to silence that stuff. You see, the will of God is very knowable. So let's go back. I'm praying for healing. Do I have a right to do that if I don't know what God's will is? No, I don't. Because if I'm earnestly praying, it says pray without ceasing. Thus, if I'm earnestly praying that God would heal me, but it's not His will, am I praying against His will? Yes. So how do you know? Would God ever put us in a situation of which we're praying for something that we don't know how to pray for? The specific outcomes of situations we may not know. But if there is a promise in Scripture of something, we do not have to pray to ask God, what is your will in this situation? We are to come confidently and pray and thank Him for it. If we are to be praying the will of God, then we must be able to know what the will of God your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to pray that, we ought to know what it is. Because how does He get His will done on this earth? It's through us. It's through the church. Now, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Question. 
Do you have to pray to go therefore and make disciples? God, do you want me to share the Gospel? You do not need to pray that. It's expected. It is expected. But we don't do it. We don't even pray it, but we certainly don't do it. Could you imagine that if you spent, if you took one day every week and just said, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to talk to you about God, could you imagine what would happen? I'm going to go and share the gospel with somebody. One day a week. One day. 30 minutes that, in that day. I'm going to go talk to somebody. I'm going to go find somebody. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to stand there by the milk aisle until somebody comes up to reach for that milk and boy, are they going to get more than they bargained for. You see, it's the will of God. We don't have to ask that question. Mark chapter 16. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Question, is it God's will to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Yes, you don't need to pray about that. Now, what's he say after this? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You notice that this isn't a question mark. This is a statement, a declarative statement. Here's what I want you to do, guys. And here is the result of you doing that. These people who believe, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It does not say they will lay hands on the sick and pray to me. And if I feel like it, I will heal them. If it be my will. That is not what it says. That's not what it ever says. Look at James 5, verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalm. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You notice what James left out here? Is that when you're done praying for him, if it's God's will, he will raise him up. He forgot to put that in there because apparently he didn't know that good theology that we've adopted here in the last couple hundred years. Shame on James for not knowing this. He should have known this. I mean, my goodness, if you are the pastor in Jerusalem, I expect a little bit more. If you're going to write a book in the New Testament, you should really have all your facts straight. Guys, it makes no sense. If we are praying and not knowing what God's will is, then we are praying in vain. There was a guy, his name slipping my mind, the boys in the back probably do remember, but he was a former Muslim, gave his life to Christ, and became an apologist and contracted cancer. Do you remember his name? Nope. Nabesh. Nabil. Something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a Muslim name. You can Google it. Anyway, he contract, you'll know who I'm talking about. You know. You know. Just trust me. You know. Anyway, and... Uh, he got cancer. Now, this guy got radically saved. He spent a year, I believe, with Ravi Zacharias. And if you don't know who Ravi Zacharias is, let me tell you something. Whatever Ravi writes, God reads. Okay, That guy is smart. I attempt to listen to his podcast while I'm driving down the road, and I can't listen. That guy's smart. He, I'm glad he's on our team. Let's just put it that way. And anyway, but after this year long, he was a devout Muslim, and he realized that the Muslim faith was not the true faith, and that Christ really did come and all this other stuff. Gives his life to Christ. Becomes this apologist and is writing this book from Muslim to Christianity or something like that. It is taking off. I mean, he's having an impact in this world and he contracts cancer. And he puts out this long Facebook post and he's just saying, hey guys, be praying for me. You know, this is what's going on. I'm going to do the best I can to continue the ministry and all the stuff that he's doing. Doing amazing things for God. And he says, I know 
if it's God's will, that He will heal me of this. And he died a couple months later. It was a major impact to the world, to the church. I mean, this guy was doing major things. And I knew the second I read that, he's not going to make it. Why? He had no confidence that it was God's will to heal him. And that's the question. Is it God's will to heal all? Okay, well, let's, let's take this from a logical standpoint. Is there anybody on this earth that it's not God's will that they become saved? No. Now, but if you ask somebody with a Reformed doctrine, a Reformed background, um, a Calvinistic, they will say that God has chosen some to be saved, and He's chosen some to be damned. And they use Scripture. Now, that is completely unbiblical, but this is what they say. So God has picked a few. They're called the elect, and those are the ones that are born again. Do you know how you are one of the elect? This is beautiful. I love this. You got born again. If you didn't, guess what? Well, you weren't one of the elect. You know what we call that? Circular reasoning. So, is it God's will to heal? Well, did you get healed? Yes. Okay, it was. Did you not? No. Okay, it wasn't. What? You want me to pray God's will and this is the... Like the guessing game is kind of like one of them flow charts you see. You know, it's like, um, uh, should I buy a new dog? Uh, well, do you need a new dog? No. Well, buy a new dog anyway. Do you want a new dog? Yes. Okay, buy a new dog. It's one of them things you see them on Facebook. Sorry, I, uh, that's just whatever. But, I mean, it, it, it's, it makes no sense because we should have a confident expectation when we go to a sinner and we preach the gospel to them, not that they will become saved, but they could. But if I don't know if it's God's will to save that person or not, isn't that God's problem? If I'm to go as an elder of the church and you call me because you're sick and I, it says for you to call me and then I'm supposed to come and pray over you and I'm supposed to anoint you with oil and it says the prayer of faith will save the sick. If I don't know if it's God's will, would I be acting out of God's will if I came and did that? Am I vainly, repetitiously praying for something if it's not God's will? You see, we don't know. We have to know what God's will is in this situation. We have to know what God's will is in every situation. You never have to pray to preach the gospel. You don't have to say, God, is this your will in my life? Because it is. Just get over it. You don't have to pray, God, do you want me to take maybe some of these new believers and take them under my wing and disciple them and spend time with them? Guess what? It is. It's His will. He expects you to do it. What happens if we're not doing it? Well, then we're outside of God's will. We need to be doing it. God, do you want me to lay hands on the sick and pray for them? Uh, yeah, he said that believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Oh, so you want me to have confident expectation that you're going to go on your end if I go on my end? Oh. You see, it's illogical to go there and pray for something with no expectation of results. You guys following me on this? I want, this is very logical. You see, we didn't have to get too deep into the weeds theologically. We just got to think a little bit. This isn't complicated. Now, there's no doubt that we don't see the results that we think we should see. Right? There are people that we have prayed for that we have watched not been healed. But that's not what's at question here. What's at question is, is it God's will? Is it God's will that all should be saved? Yes, it is. Do all people get saved? No, they don't. Your kingdom...
is in heaven. Did I just, oh, there it goes. Are you pushing buttons back there? We're working on new guys here. You see, we, we see God's will not get done all the time. But it is His will. So the question is why? Here's what's happened. And we're going to get deeper into this. I want you to stay with me. Not today, because I'm going to let you guys out of here before too much longer. But, but we're going to get deeper into this. Is the question of God's will or not, it's, it's pretty simple to know what God's will is. And who's ultimately responsible for the results? It's not you and I. It's God. Our responsibility is simply the, the act thereof. But many of our theologies have taken some of what we've seen in Scripture and a whole lot of what we've experienced and mixed them together. Now, I said this a couple of weeks ago, maybe it's been longer than that now, is that if you raise your hand and I ask you, do you believe in healing because you've seen it happen today, and you raise your hand, if that is the foundation of your belief, then the people who don't believe in healing because they haven't seen it have the same foundation that you do. It's the exact same. Because our hand goes up is, do I believe that God heals today because His Word tells me that's where our hand goes up at? You see, I also made a statement, and you guys didn't throw rocks at me, and I appreciate that, is that I don't believe in the power of healing, and I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. And that by the laying on the hands and the praying is how we activate that. But it's the power of God. There's nothing magical about my hands or your hands or your words or anything like that. It is the power of God. So what we've done is we've taken a whole lot of what we've seen and we've tried to say, well, I have to make sense in this in light of Scripture. So let me take this over here and I'm going to pour it on my Bible and now it's this filter of which I'm going to read my Scriptures through. So I am no longer allowing the Scriptures to stand alone. I'm allowing my experiences to dictate what Scripture says to me. That's not how we do that. It's not how we do it at all. But do we have examples of people not healed in the Bible? Well, let's look at this real quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the house of Onesiris, Onesiris, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. I thought Paul had the gift of healing. Why did he leave him there sick? I know why. Because at this point, the gifts were no longer needed in operation because the Word of God had gone out there to the point now that there was no longer confirmed. And so the apostles had lost their ability to lay hands on the sick and, and see them get well. No longer existed. Is that what it says? No. You know where I got that piece of information? A book. Written by a doctorate at one of our major seminaries. So, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Written to Timothy again. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Well, Timothy had health issues, apparently. And so Paul's telling him, like, well, I don't know what to do for you. I mean, take some medicine, which is essentially what he's getting at. Take a little wine. Why didn't Paul just pray for him? Why didn't Timothy just pray for himself? What do we do with this? Well, obviously, because here's the second time he's written to Timothy and you see this issue going on. Paul didn't have that ability and the gifts had stopped or they could just somebody would have prayed for him and it had been fine. So obviously that's what's happened here, right? Let's look at another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I'm not explaining any of this today, just so you know. So if you're waiting on an answer, uh, you have to come back next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is it made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in knees, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What was the thorn in the flesh? He had some physical ailment, very likely an eye disease. And he prayed, God, please take this from me. And God said, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you. For in my strength is made perfect through your weakness. It was God's will for Paul to have an eye disease. Because God be glorified. How do we know this? Well, look at Galatians chapter 4. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you had, would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. There it is right there. You see, this eye disease, these people felt bad for him. They couldn't pray for him. He's the Apostle Paul. They couldn't get him healed. It wasn't God's will because obviously God told them that when he wrote to the church of Corinth. And, and so these guys, because they loved Paul so much, they were willing to pluck out their own eyes and give it to him if he could just maybe see a little better because they needed the Apostle Paul. That proves it, doesn't it? Well, actually, there's one more verse that proves it even more. In Galatians 6, verse 11, it says, See what large letters... I have written to you with my own hand. Well, you know why he wrote in large letters? He can't hardly see. Some of you guys can relate. I've seen the font on your phone. It's one letter on the screen at a time and you have to scroll through it. You guys are the reason they make those giant remote controls with the big numbers, right? So obviously this thorn in the flesh was Paul's eye disease and God gave that to him because it was his will to keep him humble. Isn't that what we just read? The good news is, guys, if you've ever thought about going to take a seminary class, I just gave you one for free. And I can promise you that that is completely wrong. And I will show you that next week. You're welcome. <laughs>